everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo. And I am your co-host, Dr. Aaron Stansfield. And we're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts, as our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to provide you with the information you need to achieve optimal health. In today's podcast, we have the pleasure of bringing Hormones Demystified back on our podcast for round number two. It's pretty cool because our first episode with you, which is currently our most downloaded episode to date, it really shed light on the quackery that's associated with functional and integrative medicine. And in this episode, we are discussing probably the most misconstrued topic when it comes to overall health and weight loss, which is the thyroid and thyroid testing. Uh, but before we dive into this, I just, um, in case anybody missed our first round together, which was episode 11, uh, if you can just give them a brief inter introduction of who you are and what your current mission is. Sure. Uh, I'm an endocrinologist, been one for about 20 years. And the mission that I had, so I have a blog and um, the mission that I had with that blog was basically to give people a place to find the information that you just can't find elsewhere on the internet. So essentially it was patients coming to me with all the sort of bizarre things that their naturopaths and other alt-med providers had recommended that they do. And um, that the people were looking for this, for answers to this information, you know, are these legitimate lab tests that I had ordered? Cause I have like 10 pages of labs here <laughs> that my, that my all med doc ordered. And they told me I should take all of these supplements, you know, are these a good idea? And if you look on, at least at the time that I started the blog in 2017, if you looked on the internet for answers to a lot of these questions, the mainstream medical sites would just tell you sort of the standard, this is what you're supposed to do, but they would never really explain why all the other crazy stuff that the quacks were telling you was wrong. So that's what I decided to do was just to kind of do some research into where are they getting this information? You know, why, why do they counsel people to do this stuff? And then I was breaking it down and, and just trying to show people exactly why it was wrong. Yeah. And the blog is still up. Um, and that's actually how I found you is um, having to answer a lot of patients questions and how, you know, to support, uh, I knew the data for them for the medical side and what the medical societies recommend, but how do I, you know, um, undercut or cut down the argument against me um, with the functional medicine providers. And so it was very helpful to have an explanation and say, all right, this is why this is wrong. And, and you explain it so well in that blog. So I highly encourage anyone who's listening to this to please check it out if you're curious. And there's references in there as well um, and anecdotal experience as well. Yeah. And I remember the first time she like started reading your blog, like she told me, she's like, we got to have him on the podcast. And when she started telling me some of the stuff, I was like, man, I definitely heard this before. And then you were on um, the Docs Who Lift podcast. That's where I initially heard you. But it was so cool how she was saying all this stuff. And I was like, I definitely heard that somewhere. And it was just like a meeting of two worlds. And it's pretty cool because, you know, you agreed to do not only our first episode, but our second episode. So we're really excited to to, to get this episode going about, about thyroid health. Well, thanks, guys. I'm glad you found my blog in an obscure corner of the internet. That's <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. So let's just start with the basics here. Um, so for all our audience, you know, that are listening, they might not know um, the symptoms of hypothyroidism, basically. So can you uh, tell me um, who should go be seen by a physician who might suspect themselves of having hypothyroidism? What are the symptoms? That sort of thing. Yeah, that I find that question so difficult to answer when it should be really easy to answer because there's the classic symptoms, weight gain, constipation, feeling very cold, having fatigue and mental fog, dry skin, changing periods, all that kind of stuff. And then there's real life, which is people come in with just a constellation of different findings. So I, I usually would tell people, you know, if you feel 
generally unwell and it's not normal for you and there's nothing obvious going on, you know, it's a pretty decent idea to see your doc to get some basic labs. And usually one of those basic labs is going to be the thyroid um, screening. But, you know, as you know, if you, I, I think there have been at least a couple of epidemiologic studies where they look to see, you know, how many symptoms of hypothyroidism do totally healthy people have who don't have a thyroid problem. And it's usually at least like three or four, because, you know, you ask anybody on any given day, hey, you tired? Oh, yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. I could have gotten more sleep last night. Hey, how, how's your mood? Oh, I don't know, I'm a little depressed. And, you know, and then you go on from there. And, you know, most of these people are not going to turn out to have a thyroid problem. So, um, Correct. That's I think it's just I... a generalized symptoms, right? It's just um, yeah. not very nonspecific, if you will. Um, I would say if there's a change from baseline um, in the past few months that, you know, hasn't gone away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I experienced the same thing on my end where it's, you know, at what point do we just say, all right, we'll just get the blood test. And on that note, um, what kind of blood testing would you recommend if, if somebody were to be curious about their thyroid? So for the vast majority of people, and I know that what I'm about to say is going to conflict with what people have read on the internet on uh, less reputable sites than my own, uh, I would say just get a TSH. And if the TSH is very normal, and we can talk about what very normal means, it's highly unlikely that you have a thyroid problem. Um, so TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone, and mm -hmm. um, that's the hormone that the pituitary gland in the brain makes to tell the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. And the reason why TSH is such an awesome screening test is that it changes by a lot for very small changes in people's thyroid hormone levels. So if you look at kind of the normal range for the thyroid hormone level itself, which I'm just going to abbreviate as T4, that's the common way we check the thyroid hormone level. So if you look at the, the normal range for T4, everybody likes to keep their T4 in a very, very tightly regulated portion of that normal range. So if their thyroid hormone level drops even a little bit within the normal range, but it's not normal for their body, the TSH is going to respond by shooting up a lot. And that makes it a very, very sensitive screen. And that's why I'm telling people, hey, listen, you really... For the most part, we can talk about the caveats, but for the most part, you just need a TSH. And if it looks good, then you are most likely good. Uh, but again, we can talk more about the subtleties of uh, you know what makes a totally stone cold normal TSH. So, would you is it safe to say that TSH is the most reliable test to diagnose to diagnose hypothyroidism? Yeah, if we're talking about the most common form of hypothyroidism, which is called primary hypothyroidism, which is where the thyroid just isn't working right, then yes, it's it's without a doubt, really hardly any qualifications to make, it's going to be the most useful sensitive test. Yeah, well, we had, actually, I had an incident and she was looking at my blood work, what was it, two years ago? With my TSH. Uh -huh. So my T my thyroid levels were a little bit low, but my TSH was really low. And I'm like, what's going on here? And she was like, I don't want to scare you, but you might have a growth on your pituitary. Like you got to go get checked out. Right. Well, no, it was, it was more than that. Like the clinical picture was more than just the TSH. <laughs> All right, Benny, let's let, let's let Dr. Aaron tell the story. Okay. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> it was still normal. I think I was more concerned about the other um, hormone markers, but he had some symptoms that were um, consistent. So it, we, we digress off the thyroid stuff, but yeah, that wasn't that his his clinical picture wasn't as straightforward as that but i will ask this question um so tsh being sensitive and likely specific for um somebody who might be um hypothyroid uh would you get a t3 and a t4 or just a t4 and can you explain why sure so if the tsh is let's just say mildly elevated indicating that the person may have mild hypothyroidism because remember the TSH moves in the opposite direction of the thyroid hormone levels. So if the thyroid hormone level is dropping, TSH is rising. Um, so let's say TSH mildly elevated, I would check a 
T4, uh, also called a free T4. So let's just say um, T4 is what we mean. We mean free T4 when we say that. Um, I would check that. And if the T4 is obviously a bit low, then you know usually you've got your answer there. But most likely, if the TSH is only mild to moderately elevated, the T4 is just going to be somewhere in the lower third of the normal range. And that's just telling me that the likely situation here is that person usually likes to keep their T4 higher in the normal range and it dropped and that's not normal for them. So that's why the TSH went up so much. And that right there will usually, usually make the, the diagnosis depending on how obvious the clinical picture is. I'm usually not going to get a T3 level and I've written a lot about this because there's just a ton of stuff out there, but to just sort of to give the very short basic intro version, the T3 levels just in the blood, um, they don't correlate very well with what's happening at the tissue level. So the body is just really great at defending T3 levels. T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone that's getting inside the cells and getting the job done, doing what thyroid hormone is supposed to do. Um, but you just, you can't get all the information that you need about what the true thyroid hormone levels are from a T3 level, because there's just too much variability at the tissue level uh, compared to uh, to what you're checking in the blood. So for hypothyroidism specifically, trying to diagnose it by checking the T3 level just isn't going to be that helpful because usually what happens is the T3 levels in the blood are either normal or they're very slightly low, but that's in everybody like normal right. people with no thyroid problem and people with hypothyroidism, you get the same results. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't help that much. There is another test that's sometimes helpful to clarify things, which we're probably going to talk about at some point looking at antibodies. But um, if we're just sort of doing the intro, talking about TSH, T4, T3, what's helpful for screening for hypothyroidism, it's going to be TSH and free T4. All right. Well, and I'm going to just jump in here because I know that a lot of functional health coaches and practitioners, they love to order reverse T3 and they love to talk about how it's extremely important. And I could be wrong with this, but I thought it was only important if like you're in a comatose state, uh, I could be completely off though there too. Um, so can you, ex uh, can you speak to why someone might get reverse T3 and if it's even important or not? Yeah. Reverse T3, it's the marker of whether you're being taken care of by an alt med doc or uh, a regular <laughs> mainstream That's doc. Really. It. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a useful test at all. And again, this was one that when I, when I wrote a post about this one, which was called everything you never needed to know about reverse T3, <laughs> uh, I was actually really curious to see like, where does Altmed get all this <laughs> yes. stuff from? Because I had no idea. Because right. all they tell you in, in your training is, yeah, reverse T3 is basically to try to tease out, just like you said, Vinny, when, when someone's in the ICU and they're super sick and somebody for whatever reason decides to check some thyroid numbers and they come back looking funky and you're not sure if they have a thyroid problem or this is just... Um, a derangement of the thyroid numbers due to critical illness, which happens. It's something called non-thyroidal illness syndrome, uh, but it basically just means the thyroid function tests look funky and it's because you're really sick for some other reason. Mm -hmm. um, so if you check a reverse T3 in that scenario, it can give you some useful information uh, because it's high in critical illness. But for people who are walking around as normal outpatients, it just doesn't help at all. And um, I can tell you a couple reasons why people get it if you want to dive into that a little bit more. We we can. I, I So my experience with this is looking at some of um, our clientele, our um, patients, is that some of them might be um, bodybuilder bikini competitors, for example. And I think um, when they go to at least anecdotally, what I see is when they go to a functional medicine provider, they're like, you're starving. And so now, because you're, uh, we're going to check this reverse T3 and um, prove that your body um, needs um, some kind of thyroid support, right? And, <laughs> hmm. and so I think um, 
they it's it's like they've taken the critically ill patient that the normal mainstream medicine would likely get a reverse T3 on and said, you know, and, and put this kind of um, persona on the bikini competitor and said, you're critically ill. And now we need to get this level to prove that. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, and, and maybe some, some caveats that go along with that. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I, I wonder now I'm kind of wondering what that person who's, you know, doing the bodybuilding competition, what they're actually doing that might cause the derangement. Like if, if they're doing something really extreme with diet at that point, yeah, you know, they're trying to exactly. cut weight or yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know so much about checking your reverse T3 in that instance. I can sort of just tell all the other reasons why it's not, it's not helpful, but um, I will say that when people are eating ketogenic diets or, and I think when they're fasting as well, um, what we often will see if somebody decides to check thyroid numbers, this is in people who are otherwise healthy, the T3 levels, not the reverse T3, but the T3 levels can be frankly low right. and that triggered a concern among some people that there might be a thyroid problem, but it doesn't seem to be indicative of a thyroid problem at all because the TSH is, you know, pretty much always normal in those people and they don't have any symptoms. So they're basically just having a funky number, which is not fully understood. Um, I don't know if there's something that's different about the, the metabolism of certain nutrients that just requires different levels of, of T3 in the body. I, I would really just be guessing at, at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, as far as the, the reverse T3, what, what I can say about it, while I don't know why it would be abnormal exactly in the person who's competing, um, unless, you know, again, it's one of those funny dietary things. Well, it's funny cause you get it and it's usually normal, but they, oh, the, functional, the functional provider uh, will say, oh, you have a problem, <laughs> but oh. I think it's, but that's the re that's the rationale that they use. Like, Oh, you you must be critically ill because you've been dieting for so long, or you have like a low body fat percentage, which I think mm -hmm. is an interesting play, right? Um, but I, I really don't think that these people, you know, these are the essentially very healthy people with low body fat percentages. So mm -hmm. usually it comes back at a normal range. But then again, the functional provider will one order it. And I, I was always told. Um, during my training, you don't order a test unless you're, you do something with that information and you know what to do with the information. So <laughs> I think yeah. that that's part of the issue. <laughs> yeah, they <said> it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So maybe you can explain to us a little bit more about, about reverse T3. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of claims about it. Um, I would say one of them is that elevated reverse T3, if it's present, uh, it prevents T3, the active form of thyroid hormone, from binding to receptors. And the claim is that if that happens, it's going to cause hypothyroidism at the tissue level, at the cellular level. And looking into this, it turns out that reverse T3 actually doesn't bind to thyroid hormone receptors, and it doesn't even get inside the nucleus. So, And there's actually evidence that shows that. That it, that it just doesn't do that. So that claim really can't be true. Um, and, I, and I've been unable to find any evidence that that it does get into cells and, and it does that. Um, there's also a claim that elevated reverse T3 decreases the metabolic rate by decreasing the conversion of T4 to T3. And the studies that Altmed has cited on that don't actually support that statement. And I've explained explained it in detail in the post. It will make people's ears bleed if I go into it here. So I won't, <laughs> I won't do that, but um, let's just say that it, it doesn't decrease the metabolic rate either. Um, and then there's this idea that uh, if you're giving someone levothyroxine and which is the um, most common form of thyroid hormone replacement that we give and the elevated and the, sorry, and the reverse T3 is elevated. There's a claim that that means that just giving levothyroxine alone without giving some other form of thyroid hormone, like giving T3, the claim is that that's going to be ineffective. Um, but it, that also doesn't 
really make any sense because when you give more levothyroxine, you know, as you're increasing the dose, you're you're always driving more conversion of that levothyroxine to T3. So having a an elevated reverse T3, if it is elevated for some reason, doesn't affect that process. You increase the dose of T4 hormone, the levothyroxine, you're going to drive more conversion to T3. Yeah, it's going to change the feedback loop a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, can you talk about, so, you know, you kind of spoke about T4 and T3, but can you talk about why, because I feel like every alt med provider orders a T3 level and then they make clinical decisions based on that specific level. Can you talk about what the caveat there is with using that level? Is this in people who are taking some kind of thyroid replacement or people who aren't or either way? Either way. Um, but let's start with people who aren't. Uh, so if they're checking a T3 level and people who aren't, and they're making a diagnosis of hypothyroidism based off that, it's not valid mainly because there are so many normal people. And when I say normal, I just mean not a thyroid level. Um, that they they don't have a thyroid problem yet you check their t3 level and it's slightly low and that's just kind of a it's kind of a funny thing about about the the testing for t3 and again it it doesn't tell you what's going on in the person's cells because the the local tissues are actually converting T4 to T3 there, not all tissues. Some of the tissues need to rely on the T3 that's made in other parts of the body that gets secreted into the blood and then they pull it out of the blood as it make its, makes its way around. But quite a lot of tissues in the body are making their own T3. And you just can't measure that because they're making the amount of T3 that they need at any given time. And if they don't need that much, they won't make that much. If they need more, they'll make more. And unfortunately, we just have no way of measuring that. So in people who are not on thyroid hormone and their T3 level in the blood is slightly low, but all the other tests are normal, TSH and free T4, well, the low T3 doesn't really mean anything to me. And there's really no way to sort of get around the fact that it just doesn't mean anything. I've seen, you know, pretty much all, all kinds of alt med nonsense with that, you know, that they, they just sort of, cause they, you know, we've talked, I think we talked about this last time that they, they have a hammer and they really want to hit that nail yeah. and that, you know, they don't have um, really a, a very deep fund of knowledge to, to draw from. So it's just like, oh, please let me shotgun enough labs. And if there's something that looks even the slightest bit funky, we're going to go ahead and jump on that and treat it. But it just doesn't, doesn't mean that. But it's a, it is a different story when we're talking about people who are on thyroid hormone because it, it starts to get more complicated, especially if we're talking about alt-med providers since they're usually, not always, but they're often using... Um, uh, a form of thyroid replacement that includes a lot of T3 in it. Yes. And the it's not a very long half-life hormone, which you know means that you're getting some very different levels throughout the day in the blood, depending on when you draw that blood test in relation to a dose. So when you check T3 levels in people who are taking T3, they're probably even less useful to tell you all that much. Um you know, if you really want to, you can check it when you think the drug is peaking just to see what the peak level is. And you can check, you know, at its trough just to see what the trough is. But I don't know that it really gives you a lot of actionable information. What is the half-life of T3? Uh, it's about a day. Okay. So it's, I mean, it, it has a fairly short half-life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if we're comparing it to T4, which is about seven days, yeah. um, you know, and then T3 circula circulating T3 in the blood about one day or less. Oh, by the way, reverse T3, I think is like four hours. So yeah. it makes it even less useful because <laughs> you're, you're getting a blood test that has a short Which is why you get it in the ICU, right? Because you're getting labs every few hours in the ICU. So it yeah. makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Can you talk about, uh, speaking of the alt med providers, I see a lot of, um, you know, treating what they think is hypothyroidism with pig thyroid or, you know, other forms of thyroid hormone. Can you, can you touch on that and, and touch on like what the difference is with, um, with actually going to an endocrinologist and what they would treat you with and why? Sure. So, you know, pig thyroid or desiccated thyroid, um, that was the standard of care for a long time. That's all we had until like the 1970s or so when the levothyroxine took over. And the, the reason why most mainstream docs are going to like levothyroxine is because it is identical chemically speaking to thyroxine that the, the thyroid makes. So, um, Thyroxine was the T4 we were talking about before, and that's what the thyroid makes. Levothyroxine looks just like that. So it's essentially a very natural, if you if you want to use the term bioidentical, we could uh form of, of thyroid hormone. And it's got a it's got a pretty long half-life. So it's it's pretty steady state in the blood. And it's nice because you've got this pool of T4 that the different tissues can pull from, and they can take whatever they need and make T3 from that. So uh, that that tends to work pretty well for the majority of people. Um, but there's a very sizable minority of people for whom that isn't perfect. You know, they, they have beautiful looking numbers on paper, but yet they still don't feel quite right. And you know, that's a, a really hard situation because, you know, we talked about the fact earlier that thyroid symptoms are often pretty nonspecific. So if you have someone with hypothyroidism on levothyroxine with beautiful looking thyroid numbers, but they don't feel great, what does that mean? Does it mean that there's something else going on like sleep apnea or who knows what, what else it could be, but it could be many things. Or does it mean that their thyroid regimen's not optimized yet? And it could be that the thyroid regimen's not optimized yet. So that's where this idea of T3 comes in because some people really do respond to T3. In the endocrinology world, I will say, while there are some endocrinologists who may use pig thyroid, um, it, it's, uh, it's not quite as common, I don't think, as maybe adding in a little bit of T3 hormones separately. So you basically have the levothyroxine, which is the main thing you're given. And then you've got a little dose of T3 that you give on the side. And the reason why we do it that way is because we're trying to mimic the body's normal ratio of T4 to T3. So the, the body usually has somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 15 or 20 to one ratio of T4 to T3. So when we're giving levothyroxine and Liothyronine, liothyronine is the T3. When we're given that, we're trying to keep the ratio somewhere between like 10, 20 to 1 so that it mimics normal physiology as best as we can. And when you look at pig thyroid, the ratio of T4 to T3 is 4 to 1, which means that it's got way more T3 in there. So why is that not good? Uh, it's it's not great because it's not physiologic, but it's also this huge bolus of a very short-acting hormone. And anytime you give a very short-acting hormone, it has the potential to act more as a stimulant than a replacement therapy. So the the sort of the the danger there is that some people will just feel too um, jazzed up and not in a in a good way. Uh, from that, you know, because they're like, well, I feel really jittery in the few hours after I take my, my pig thyroid. Or on the other hand, some people will feel really, really good after it. And then, you know, uh, we'll say that, you know, over the course of several months or so, the general good feeling that they have may start to wear off because they were actually getting perhaps more of a response to the stimulant effect of the big dose of T3 in the pig thyroid as opposed to actually having their underlying problem treated um, adequately. So what you wind up with is this chasing of the high, so to speak. And I know a lot of people object to that phraseology, <laughs> um, but it's just a convenient way to think about it 
because it really does anytime you give a hormone that you don't need testosterone or you know hydrocortisone or t3 or whatever if you don't really need it it can be a stimulant and it can feel pretty good and um tends to act like a stimulant drug but you know if you take if you take meth you never say that you're correcting your methamphetamine deficiency i mean <laughs> it doesn't make any sense so anyway pig thyroid while it can be helpful for some people um it doesn't really make a lot of sense physiologically because the the ratio of t4 to t3 in pigs is just not the same as the ratio of t4 to t3 in humans so so really quick before we just before we move on from that topic but um i i see a lot of like thyroid support supplements mm. that have something that says like bovine thyroid in it so can you explain to people who don't know what that is what it is and if it can have any um potential effects on those people taking it yeah any one of those supplements that's labeled as a thyroid support if it has anything other than just a bunch of herbs you've never heard of then it's probably not good so that bovine thyroid extract is essentially cow thyroid and uh it's usually something similar to the more prescription grade pig thyroid just at a lower amount typically mm -hmm. But it can still, if you take enough of it, it can still cause all the same effects um, that that a prescription strength drug would cause. And that's not really a great idea because instead of supporting your own thyroid, and I'm just going to assume that the person taking this is normal, uh, meaning doesn't have a thyroid problem because they've been diagnosed by an alt med doc, which means they almost <laughs> certainly don't have a thyroid problem. Um, so they were told then, oh, well, you should probably just take this thyroid support formula. But anytime you take something that you don't really need, it shuts down your body's ability to make it by itself. Because remember, it's all on a feedback loop. So mm -hmm. the pituitary is monitoring what the thyroid hormone levels are doing at, at all times. And if it sees this bovine thyroid, pituitary is just going to say, awesome. I don't need to make that much thyroid stimulating hormone. There's already plenty of thyroid hormone around. And, you know, you can wind up putting the, the pituitary to sleep if you take enough of that stuff and it won't make so much TSH, which means the thyroid will go to sleep. And then the, the real major downside is once you stop that stuff, it sometimes takes quite a while for everything to wake up. So you feel like crap during that process. Same thing as like um, bodybuilders who have taken a ton of testosterone and then just stop it right off the bat they often feel pretty bad yeah so the other thing going along with that theme is i see a lot of functional providers saying you have subclinical um thyroid issues and then treating that with a, a you know a pig thyroid or some other kind of thyroid supplementation can you speak to um what the issue is with diagnosing somebody with subclinical thyroidism and then also treating that what what are the potential um downfalls for the patient if it is treated and if you are diagnosed by a functional provider which i would never recommend with subclinical thyroidism is that is that even a thing too is sub does subclinical even exist what does yeah. that mean it it is a thing uh, for sure so subclinical hypothyroidism is going to be defined as usually a mild elevation of TSH with a normal free T4. That's just the, it's a basically a biochemical definition. It kind of implies when, when we say subclinical that there's no symptoms, but that's not really the case because usually the reason why somebody's getting tested is because they have symptoms. So it, it is a, a, just a biochemical diagnosis, slightly elevated TSH, but normal free T4. Um, so in that setting, there's really, usually if, if I feel like I'm seeing that person and the story is pretty good for hypothyroidism, I will usually go ahead and repeat those tests and I'll add on a third test, which I alluded to earlier. That's called TPO antibodies or thyroperoxidase antibodies. Um, there's a lot of antibodies that can be checked for the thyroid. If you've been to AltMed, you've probably had at least three or four of them checked. But when we're looking at hypothyroidism, the only one that's really useful is this TPO antibody test. And the reason why it's useful is that the most common cause of hypothyroidism is the immune system attacking the thyroid, and that's called Hashimoto's. So 
the antibodies that attack the thyroid can be measured in the blood. That's the TPO antibodies. So if I see someone with those subclinically hypothyroid tests and I'm trying to make the case that this person should be treated, I will typically check the TPO antibodies because if they're positive, it really lends more credibility to the idea that, oh, okay, you know what? They're probably brewing something here and their symptoms that they have may very well be due to very mild thyroid dysfunction at this point. So I should treat them. And um, and I will treat them with usually levothyroxine and kind of go from there. But um, if the TPO antibodies are negative, then it doesn't mean it's impossible that they could have real hypothyroidism brewing. It just means it's less likely, particularly when the TSH is very mildly elevated and the T4 is pretty darn normal, you know, comfortably within the normal range. And they have maybe some other things that could be going on. I usually would talk to them and say, hey, you know, you, you told me that you snore at night and you wake up feeling terrible and, you know, foggy and headache and dry mouth. You know, maybe we should get a sleep study and see if you have sleep apnea before we stick you on thyroid hormone for the rest of your life. Because if the if people have negative antibodies and you recheck those thyroid function tests over the course of three, six months, a year, they will often normalize on their own. Um because people sometimes just have mildly abnormal blood tests. Right. You know, you check blood tests enough times, you get abnormal numbers. So um, not not a great idea to just jump right on thyroid hormone without doing a little bit of additional workup. Because usually then that means that you're committing to taking that forever. Right, right. And can you talk about, you know, people that do go on thyroid supplementation? Can you talk about the physiology of that? Because um, you mentioned... That's kind of a lifelong decision typically. I mean, obviously you're going to get labs and make sure the labs are consistent with, um, you know, being adequately, adequately treated. But can you talk about that? Um, what happens if you don't really need thyroid hormone and you're, you're placed on it? What, what, what are the problems with that? Um, the biggest problem is that people will, if they respond to it, which they sometimes will because it's a hormone that they don't really need. And sometimes it'll give you that stimulant effect. They'll get in this loop of every few months as the placebo, sorry, not the placebo effect, the stimulant effect. Um, sometimes there is a placebo effect, that, but that also wears off after three or six months. But if there's a stimulant effect at all, it wears off. And then usually the dose gets increased. If particularly if we're talking about alt med and uh and if that cycle goes on and on and on then usually people wind up getting quite sick um because they're at that by that point they'll often have thyroid hormone levels in the blood that are quite high and um, we'll see some numbers that are disturbing you know the TSH will be quite suppressed and T4 maybe T3 will be elevated and but more concerning is they'll have you know very fast heart rate, potentially having atrial fibrillation, which is not a great heart rhythm to be in. You know, they'll have, um, if, if it goes on for long enough, they can have loss of bone density, they can have loss of muscle tissue, um, and they can have poor sleep. And there's, there's a whole host of things, mood changes, anxiety, it just goes on and on. I mean, if you look up the symptoms of hyperthyroidism, they're, they're not great. Uh, so, so being thyrotoxic from too much exogenous thyroid hormone that you're taking is just a bad physiologic situation to, right. to be in. Right. So with, with, I'm sorry, that's our dog. <laughs> so if, um, if, if we're talking about people that are interested in optimizing their thyroid, right, we see these supplements to say thyroid support and they don't have, maybe they do have the herbs that we can't name or pronounce. Maybe they have the bovine hormone and they're like, I don't want to do this now after watching or listening to this episode. How would you um, suggest they optimize their heart, their, their thyroid through, through diet and lifestyle choices and et cetera? Um, so optimizing through diet and lifestyle becomes maybe a little bit more important when people have some kind of reason why they can be deficient in certain um, 
things like, for example, you know, if they have inflammatory bowel disease of some sort, they have Crohn's disease, or they've had a gastric bypass, they have some reason to malabsorb certain nutrients, Mm -hmm. um, certain vitamins, certain minerals that are important when it comes to, to thyroid function, then it maybe becomes important to look and at, at checking a few levels of a few things here and there, um, and maybe taking normal, like multivitamin type doses of these things, not mega doses usually. But for the most part, most people are not walking around in a state where I'm worried that they're deficient in something. Um, you know, I do see people taking these mega doses of iodine or selenium or, you know, name it. There's several minerals and trace elements that that people take mega doses of. And it's usually not a bad idea. I mean, not necessarily. It's usually not a good idea uh, because um, they're going to wind up with with other problems. You know, if it takes too much selenium, I, I think there was one study that showed an increased risk of maybe been developing type two diabetes. If you take too much um, iodine, you can actually suppress thyroid function at least temporarily. It's kind of a, a paradoxical effect of taking mega doses of iodine. So you know, these things are usually just not a great idea. So people always want to, I get the, the impulse that people want to be proactive and do something, but, um, you know, they really should just be eating healthy, healthily. Uh, so if they have some sort of restrictive diet, um, I don't mean to pick on vegans, but it is a fairly restrictive diet, you know, they're at risk for B12 deficiency and iron deficiency. And I would probably want to make sure those people are taking supplements. Um, you know, anyone who's of childbearing age and is a woman, you know, usually a good idea to be taking uh, prenatal that has the normal amount of iodine in there, which is, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 200 micrograms a day or something like that. So, the, you know, th- that's just kind of the normal stuff that I would recommend. But pretty much the thyroid is good at taking care of itself. Yeah, because uh, I- I'm under the impression, especially with a lot of people today, it's like they look for a reason to um to, to blame their weight gain on or their inability to lose weight and a lot of that is blaming the thyroid so they're like i want to optimize it no matter what and in their mind there's something wrong with it whether lab showed or not whether their clinician says you're fine or not they still believe there's something wrong uh, but your advice is really just hey like have a well-balanced diet and your thyroid will do its thing <laughs> Yeah, I know it's totally unsatisfying because <laughs> yeah. once it's people not sexy at all, not it is not sexy. Yeah, no one's ever <laughs> accused me of being sexy. Um, so, yeah, I, I I totally get it though. I mean, especially once people have read enough about this stuff, it it because you can find a recommendation for pretty much anything that you decide you want to do. You know, if you get really interested in B vitamins, you can, I'm sure you can find a, a reference on the internet that's going to tell you you should be taking a B complex that's a mega dose for thyroid support. It's probably there somewhere. Um, but no, I don't think any of these things really have great evidence, you know, except for those those rare instances of malabsorption, you know, like a zinc, for example, another one, you know, if you have really bad malabsorption after a gastric bypass or you've got really bad Crohn's disease. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you have a reason to malabsorb zinc and you should check a, a zinc level, but the average person should not be checking a zinc level. And not even to mention like the interactions that could happen between minerals. Like if you overdose on one could really affect the absorption of another. So sure. yeah, I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. So what would you tell or what advice would you give as an endocrinologist um, to somebody who might be seeing an alt med provider for their thyroid issue if they have one? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're holding it up on a T and you're telling yeah. me to just knock it. <laughs> That's have fun. Have fun oh God. Uh, run do, away. Do a little happy, yeah, do a little happy Gilmore run up to it and just yeah. knock it out of the park, please. <laughs> oh, God. I remember the first time I saw that movie, I it never laughed so hard. Um <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if someone's seeing an alt-med provider, uh I to try to be somewhat fair about this. Um, I know I, I really bash on them a lot because I've had just so many horrible experiences with them in real life and seeing what they recommend on the internet. But, you know, I have occasionally run across an all med provider who's 
fairly reasonable. I'm sure there are more things we disagree about than agree about, but I've seen what they do and, and it's not totally bizarre. So um, what I guess what I would say is number one, the competence of your AltMed provider is inversely proportional to the number of blood tests that they order for you. <laughs> I like that equation. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have seven pages of lab tests, then your doctor is probably a quack. It's like that you might be a redneck routine with Jeff Foxworthy, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> your doctor might be a quack. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're if they're giving you some form of levothyroxine um, brand names like you know synthroid levoxyl or you know generic levothyroxine all fine uh and they may be adding in a little touch of liothyronine with that i think that's quite reasonable and they're using the tsh to guide replacement plus using your symptoms and physical exam uh, i don't want to ignore that at all uh, a lot of people complain that mainstream doctors only look at blood tests and we ignore everything else. It really is important to, yes. to, to look at people, examine people. Um, you know, I mean, just as quick example, you know, if I see somebody who's got delayed deep tendon reflex, uh, sorry, delayed relaxation phase of the deep tendon reflex at the ankle, for example, or at the biceps, those are the two most useful places I find. Um, sometimes that means they're not getting enough thyroid hormones. So that's, that's just one physical exam find we might look for. But, um, I would say that if they are giving you a medicine that's compounded for the thyroid, it's usually not a good sign. Um, you know, compounding pharmacies, we talk about that in a whole separate episode. It's a, it's a crazy business. Round um, three coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, not something that I, that I like. And, um, you know, if they're giving pig thyroid, uh, there are a reasonable number of mainstream docs who like to give pig thyroid. So um, it, I don't think that makes it make any more sense, but I'm just going to say that, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of crossover, I think, between mainstream medicine and alternative medicine when it comes to thyroid, just some uh, pig thyroid, some people give it. Um, in fairness, I will say that, you know, there's at least couple trials out there um, that were reasonably well conducted clinical trials showing that even though at the end of the trials, all the arms, uh, you know, each arm um, levothyroxine alone versus levothyroxine plus liothyronine versus pig thyroid, they all pretty much have the same symptom scores by the end of these trials. So no clinical difference um, could be detected in how they were really feeling on any of these meds. But then when you ask people which one did you prefer? And they were blinded to their treatment. They will often say they prefer pig thyroid or levothyroxine plus liothyronine and not levothyroxine alone. So in fairness, there's there's a role there somewhere for T3. But if you look at, this may be getting too dense, but if you look at subgroups in those trials, at least the last trial I'm thinking about from a couple of years ago, the group that actually responded and said they liked the um, the, the T4 plus T3 medicine or the pig thyroid better. Those were the people who were on levothyroxine alone and didn't feel optimized on levothyroxine alone. And that is exactly what I've seen in clinical practice. So I don't think it's crazy to give a little bit of T3. I don't like giving it in the form of pig thyroid because it's so non-physiologic, but um, you know, it, if, if people are, really insistent on on taking it you know it, it's not the worst thing in the world if they're at least not being massively over replaced right i've only seen um like as far as like the endocrine society say that it you know the t3 t treatment is useful in people who've had total thyroidectomies um because it seems like those people have a lot more symptoms and they seem to benefit from from having a little bit of that T3 uh, replacement, uh, and 100%. and so it's it's interesting that you know that other people are benefiting as well. That's that's what I've read as far as you know actual data goes. Um, in yeah, no, actually, I I think the thyroidectomized people are the most likely. So if if I'm looking at somebody who might need T3. And they have no thyroid. My immediately, my threshold is sort of lower for right. starting them on some T3. And T3. I think it's probably because, you know, the 
even though the thyroid makes mostly T4, it does make a little bit of T3, probably about five micrograms a day or so. And when you have no thyroid, obviously you're not making any T3 from your thyroid. You're just relying on peripheral conversion of T4 to T3. So I think there's a good reason why thyroidectomized people may be the ones who respond the most to giving some T3. But if you have someone with primary hypothyroidism or someone who's had radioiodine treatment for hyperthyroidism who has had complete destruction of their thyroid tissue, not that you can really measure that, but let's just say they have, those people might also respond. And then there's just everyone else who may respond, but you know they may not be responding for the right reasons. Meaning, you know, I, I've always thought that there should be a sort of category of pig thyroid responsive malaise. Like it's a diagnosis that we would give people because they don't actually have hypothyroidism, but yet right. they feel better on pig right. thyroid. So, so that to me, that's pig thyroid responsive malaise. It's probably the stimulant. It's just the stimulant. Yeah. Yeah. It may be. That's why I drink coffee in the morning. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. it's like adding caffeine. <laughs> That's a little bit more serious consequence. <laughs> well, look, we're, we're getting down to uh, the time limit here. I know you're a busy man. Um, Dr. Aaron, do you have any more questions for HD? I, I mean, we could go on and on on this topic. I love it. But um, thank you for your time. No, I, I think I, I think you've explained it well for our audience members and given great recommendations. Yeah, of course. And uh, so HD, we, we really appreciate your time. We thank you coming back on again. Um, we touched a little bit about compounding pharmacies. I know that's a pain point with Dr. Aaron as well. So that's round three coming up. So in the future, <laughs> we're going to do that. Uh, but thank you so much for our time, for your time. Um, do you, can you just do us a favor and just let people know where to read your blog and if they have questions to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find my blog at hormonesdemystified.com, all one word. And, uh, my email address is on there. If you want to send me a note, I don't answer personal medical questions, but if you just have a general question or you wanted to share something with me, you can definitely just shoot me an email. Awesome. Oh, well, once again, thank you so much for your time and round three is coming up soon. So get prepared. <laughs> hey, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank awesome. you so much. So on behalf of Balanced Bodies, we just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. We are committed to bringing valuable content. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd greatly appreciate it if you can take a moment and like it and leave a five-star review. On Apple, just go to the show, scroll down to the bottom and rate it there. If you're on Spotify, go to the show's page, click the three dots, and you can rate it there as well. And if you believe in the power of knowledge, share this episode on your social media to try and get the information out there to as many people as possible. And as you navigate your own path towards better health, remember that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner. See you all next week. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thank you.